Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every, and I, I mean this, Adam, I mean every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I am Zach, and Adam, um, are you feeling like yourself today? I, I'm feeling like myself uh, as a singular entity across all multi-dimensional timeline planes. So... Throughout throughout the multiverse, there are no variants of Adam. There is just Adam. There there would just be one singular Adam forged from the, you know, I don't know. I guess the joy of of all of humans. Um, so so you're you're not the embodiment of all evil and hatred throughout every every tendril of the multiverse, every winding way. Oh God, no! I'm I'm like the opposite of that. I'm I'm sort of like the Light King, <laughs> not the Shadow King, not 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 Chris Claremont's the Shadow King. Oh, Chris Claremont loves him some Shadow King. Let's not Chris kid ourselves. Claremont loves him some Shadow King. <laughs> do you know who doesn't love him some Shadow King, Adam? Who's that? Me. I do not like the Shadow King. Oh, really? See, I uh, felt like I, I shared that opinion until um, just recently. I just feel like it's such a convoluted, fun thing. And Vita has really uh, re-inspired my, my love for the character. Well, I w- we'll get into this in the episode. And actually, we can get into this now. But there was a, there was a good Shadow King story in 1978. Mm-hmm. And then there wasn't a good Shadow King story... And then it was the year 2021, and then Vita Ayala wrote a good Shadow King story. <laughs> and it took the entire time in between to have a good Shadow King story in the form of comics. Pretty wild that there have been many, many iterations, all the same character um, across the multiverse. And, um, you know, he's a difficult one. And Claremont loves, loves to pull this guy out. Um, when you least expect it, it's the Shadow King. You think so? I think <laughs> I think back to Claremont's original run on X Men. Yeah, and I think back to the fact that Shadow King only appears appears once in flashback, appears once in a main story, and then the next time Shadow King appears, it's all set up for what Claremont wanted to do with like the mutant wars and whatever he was going to do with uncanny 300 and killing yeah. off xavier and all of that stuff that he never got around to mm-hmm. it's all in prep for that so i really don't know how much of later claremont's love for the shadow king or other exactly the same characters like elias bogan in yeah. uh extreme x-men listen if claremont came back and said oh by the way elias bogan was also the shadow king i would have said cool that tracks chris <laughs> That's, Even though the shadow, the shadow king does pop up again in Extreme X Men too. Uh, does he? Um, oh, but I have not thought. Yeah, I think very... around Extreme X Men as as little as possible. When does he show up in Extreme? <laughs> there's a there's a whole scene um, where I believe because Rogue had absorbed some of Psylocke's powers, oh, the Shadow King is shadow able king, to. The ass- shadow King after Cywar was living inside of Psylocke's brain, right? And then. Um, Rogue is then made into the quote unquote shadow queen and they make out. It's really gross. Um, and then I don't think he pops up again until. Well, there's new, no, there's, there's new Excalibur. Uh, well, right. That's a multiversal version that, I mean, it's the same character, but he escapes through Xavier dying on another plane or so. I don't know. I, I wrote a big thread about this a while back. I think it was sometime last year or the year before. Um, it I was the year before because it, it was when it was when uh, Empire X Men was coming out. I remember oh, this right. Twitter thread you made, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it, when Shadow King popped up for one panel, and we all went, "Was a what?" and then disappeared for the. 
rest thank you, of the Thank uh, you for arc. that gift, friend of the show, Leah Williams. <laughs> yes, absolutely amazing work. So um, before we get too bogged down in, in Shadow King continuity. Um, but we're we five minutes three... and we're already bogged, bogged yeah, we have... down on the Shadow King. We have three stories we're going to go through that kind of go through, you know, the bulk of uh, some some bookends here. Who requested these? Uh, these were requested by Patreon supporter Matt Smith. Matt went over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, said, folks, I like the work that you're doing, furthering the great field of comics criticism. <laughs> and gave, uh, gave it, Matt gave us money and we yeah. decided, hey, Matt, we'll do we'll do an episode for you. So that episode is about the Shadow King. Mm-hmm. So we decided that we are going to start chronologically with uh, Shadow King's first appearance in Uncanny X-Men 117. Still only 35 cents. It is. So this came out uh, in 78. Uh, this is a Dave Cockrum cover, but John Byrne was already doing the interiors by this point. Christopher Claremont. Friend of the show, Christopher Claremont, is... You think Chris would consider himself a friend of the show? I think if I you realized... No, I, think, I don't think so. <laughs> I think he'd call us an enemy of the show. <laughs> Mr. Claremont, we love your work. Antagonist, adversary, adversary of the show. <laughs> Listen, I've got, a, I've got a Chris Claremont signed Battle of the Atoms sticker right over there, so I'm all... I'm all for calling him friend of the show. Anyway, Chris Chris is doing a story in between his larger story of the X-Men got lost after fighting Magneto and we got to get him back. Right. This is where we have the team split in two. Um, Gene and Beast are convinced the X-Men are dead. The rest of the X-Men are on their way to the submerged Japan storyline that we've already covered. So we basically get this story with Lalandra fetching coffee for Charles and just Charles like launching into monologue flashback. She did not ask. She really didn't ask for him to <laughs> give all of his uh, backstory and trauma. Uh, she does immediately start by, he does immediately start by saying, so anyway, I was engaged to this lady named Moira. Hold on. You're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. Lalandra, hold on. You're going to laugh. <laughs> It's wild Con that his flashback starts with them making out. It's so funny. Conveniently leaves out the part where Moira, after doing this eight other times, or nine other times, said, yeah, well, you know, I am going to hook up with Charles in this life, too. It's fine. Charles does not tell his space bird girlfriend that actually his other ex is Moira from all of the universe. No. No, but... In Claremont's defense, he, he's not aware of this yet. So um, I'm not 100% sure Claremont is currently aware of it, and I've seen people <laughs> explain it to him in person. It's okay. And, and it's not worth arguing with him. Um, oh, buddy, I disagree. Emotionally, uh, for you it is. Yes, I understand. I just Here's what I mean by that. I just mean I don't think it's going to get to the constructive end that you want it to. You know, in, in that's assuming that's assuming you want a constructive criticism <laughs> or constructive yes. discussion with Chris Claremont about X Men mm -hmm. instead of Hey Chris, I'm bored and it's late on Saturday at a con. What's up, buddy? Yeah, it's more of like a Zen mind state of like Battle of the Wits, sort of like Psy War. Uh, yes, you know. Um, really so we go is. from I, I will play the role of Amal Farouk in this in this play. <laughs> so we go from uh, Moira flashback to then we get the retcon of Storm stealing uh, Xavier's wallet it, in Egypt. Is it a retcon at this point? Because I believe it's not a retcon. I, well, no, it's it's a it's like a tie-in of the past. But I believe at this point it had. I know it had already been established that Storm had claustrophobia. Because of stuff in Cairo. So it was already right. established that she was from America and also lived in Cairo and Kenya at this point. Like, we already yeah. have all of that. So it's flesh. I, I see it more as fleshing out the uh, the backstory than it is, uh, what do you call it? Retconning. But go on. We're getting into semantics. <laughs> Yeah, it's just interesting, you know, like we assume that Giant Size is the first time these two characters have met. Turns out, nope. When she was a kid, she stole his wallet. Um, at which, which point, great. Charles Xavier walks into a bar 
and uh, encounters his first and worst, most malevolent psychic foe in the form of Amal Farouk. So there's a lot of problems with the Shadow King and how he's portrayed. And I don't think they are necessarily... We'll get into it. I don't think they're necessarily here in his first appearance. He he just looks like Sidney Greenstreet from Casablanca. Like he's a larger gentleman. He's wearing a fez. Like that's that's what he looks like. Mm-hmm. And he gets into a psychic battle with Professor X, and it's very interesting. This is the first real time we're getting into the astral plane, and it's got a lot of Steve Ditko, uh, Doctor Strange energy to it. That's what it is. Oh, for sure. You know, you've got sort of like weird uh, astral projections. This is the first time we're seeing Charles Xavier in his like uh, psychic armor. His conquistador and, armor. Yeah, yeah. And and they're just sort of like blasting at each other until the Shadow King kind of turns into a version of the like. There's a version of Shadow King that starts appearing in the in the. Uh, late 80s into the 90s with him with the teeth and he's blue and he's sort of this you know this ghost-like thing and Mm. here he's more like a frog you know so he's still this like disambiguous creature um but xavier is able to mind blast him after uh, shadow king is able to physically burn him somehow and um basically kills amal farouk the the page where you get we we've talked about this on the show before where the best thing to do with psychics is actually not to show the psychic stuff is to show <laughs> them standing there quietly then one person falling over that's yeah. what happens here mm-hmm. uh Amal falls face first Charles Xavier stands up and walks out it's John Byrne does a killer job with this yeah, the art in this is fantastic. Uh, and, and you're right. The face plant of Amal Farouk is fantastic. Um, the question then, you know, became, is Amal Farouk Shadow King? Or is Shadow King just using Amal Farouk? And over well, the, the years... The, the word Shadow King doesn't even appear in this. Like, No. It's no. just, this is Amal Farouk. This right. is a bad guy. This yes. is a bad psychic named Amal. So um, it's it's sort of unclear, like, we're not defining this villain as well as he will later. And even then, it's complicated by, like, the way he appears in the handbook and, you know, a variety of different stories, including the next one we're going to cover. Um, but, you know, Charles tells his story. Um, well, Landry's basically like, yo, all your kids are dead, so come to space with me. And Gene is like, I'm peacing out, too. Going over to Greece. It's fine, guys. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a well done one shot. Uh, it's very interesting, and there's a reason why this is like the definitive thing because it's it has a very big, like it has a pulp feel to it. Like it feels like you're going to like a tavern from Casablanca or out of a scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark, like. It has that Egyptian bazaar kind of feel to it, which a lot of people really like. Uh, it's memorable. Farouk, as drawn here, he's you know he's a stout man in a red fez in a white suit, and he's powerful and strong and imposing, and is really good. Is is good here? He looks like it's like. Okay, is is what happened? They said, "Hey, let's make the kingpin, but make him Egyptian." I, <laughs> Maybe I think that's exactly what they did. <laughs> I I don't know. I think your Casablanca uh, suggestion is probably on point in terms of you know just the general aesthetic that they're trying to go for. Even Charles is wearing, you know, sort of like not he's all white, but he's sort of in like a you know I'm on an adventure khaki kind of thing with his hat and everything um so it it all kinds of ties together as a genre what's wild i i always forget you know i've re- reread this many times but the astral uh fight is only four pages no yeah it's it's a small piece of it but it's very memorable and will mm-hmm. become a thing for the x-men forever absolutely 
Yeah, uh, and and not just for Xavier, for for many many characters. So I think it's straight to the point, and it makes for what I consider a pretty classic issue. This one's good. Like I said, Shadow King starts out with a good one. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So uh, why don't we try and rank this on our big old list? Yeah, so we do, as Adam so kindly said, have a big old list of all the X-Men stories that have ever been written. Uh, from best to worst, we have buh, 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 618 stories on our list, uh, with the best story being The House of X, The Powers of Ten, the hundredth story being the Terra Verde arc of X-Force by Ben Percy and Josh Kassara, the 200th story being Uncanny X-Men 230, Twas the Night Before, uh, the 300th story on our list is X-Men Black Mojo number one. Uh, number 400 on our list is Psylocke Volume 1. Uh, number 500 is Days of Future Present. Uh, number 600 on our list is uh, X-Men 28. That's the first appearance of the Banshee. And then the Draco is at 618. Um, Always. <laughs> this is this is better than number 200 for sure. Yeah, I uh, zoned in on at 108. We have one of the arcs that's right before this, which is Magneto Triumphant. I think this is better than that. This is better than Magneto Triumphant. Yeah. I, I think, I this, think is... this is better than 106 Empire X-Men, which we just talked about. Yep. I just keep I... moving up here. I, I think this is better than early Frost at 98. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Here's the, I don't think this is better than number 90 on our list, the Shiva scenario from Wolverine. Interesting. Okay. I think that works. I think the jungle adventure at 86 is better. Like I start looking right above like that Marvel fanfare issue with angel and mystique. That's better than this. In my opinion, that that's a better villain bar scene than this. I think, uh, this is probably the right place to put it on the list. Um, where I might squeeze it in is maybe in between 87 and 88. That's uh, the Mystique and the Mystique and Angel issue of Marvel Fanfare. And then the Mighty Four, Thor 15 through 19, the Asgard Shi'ar War. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's better than that. It's be- it's better than Asgard Shi'ar War. Okay. Yeah. Jason Aaron, I'm a- really sorry. I've been reading your Avengers and you've just made me mad. So I'm, you're going to lose a lot of spots on this list because <laughs> I don't like your Avengers, Jason. Oh, I'm so glad you said Jason. I thought I was writing Avengers for a second. I got confused. Adam, I have read your <laughs> comics work. I've read your comics work that is of an oddly similar vein to Jason Aaron's Avengers right now. And I can oh. tell you whose I prefer. Wow. Well, that's a that's that's a compliment, I hope. Um, so Adam, Adam, I think you're great. I think Aaron Cooter might be a better professional artist than uh, you. No I, kidding. Aaron Cooter's amazing. I, I didn't think you'd be insulted by that. I do I do think you're. I do think you did a more fun multiversal jaunt than Jason Aaron did. I'm just. I'm just well, throwing that out there. Who knows? You know, maybe one day I uh, do. I'll do some more. Um, so the Shadow King stayed relatively off the board for quite a bit of time. It wasn't till 1985 that um, he gets written back into the story in, well, not the best way. And uh, what is this next story that we are talking about? This next story is New Mutants 29 through 34. It is two arcs that are so closely intertwined that we're doing them together. Uh, It's the Gladiators arc, and then it's the Shadow King proper arc. It's also a tie into Secret Wars 2, and there is a diversion after the first issue where they go into Secret Wars 2 and then come back. You know what's wild, just as a quick aside, is that Secret Wars 2 is a tie-in to issue 30 from August of 1985. And then February and March of 1986, you're still in Secret Wars 2 (laughs) tie-ins with issues 36 and 37. And the Secret Wars 2 just way too omnipresent like it it really takes you out of this story yeah folks secret wars 2 if you've not read it there's people who love the marvel superhero secret wars from 1984 i i think that's probably a bit more nostalgia talking than it is quality sure Uh, um but the difference is there's no one who loves secret wars 2 no no it's it's pretty reviled for for good reason and uh not the least a bit that it totally 
throws off the story in the first three issues because they're trying to shoehorn in all of the stuff that happens in between issues 29 and 30. And I, it it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Thank God we have, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz on art for the first three issues here because, you know, we're, we're getting a lot in these first three issues. We have, uh, Dazzler back. We have, you know, uh, some of the new mutants have been abducted into the gladiators from off panel, and the Beast. off panel, several, off panel. New, you know, I had to go back. I was like, I mean, was this a cliffhanger in the Legion arc? I don't remember it, but it, no thing opens yeah. up with this beautiful splash page of cannonball and magic going after these people that have kidnapped Amara, uh, and Sunfire cannonball and magic are teenagers in their underwear. <laughs> I think they're in bathing suits. I think they're in bathing suits. They were the, the issue supposes, uh, very like, quickly that they were at an inter-school pool party when sunspot and uh, magma were abducted and so now they are blasting through an airport are they at jfk are we blowing up jfk listen it's (laughs) it just throws you into the middle of the action okay right beautiful beautiful action by bill sinkevich and glennis oliver on the colors fantastic work everyone loves bill Bill's great. Yeah. Um, y'all, this one's weird. So, it's confusing and jumbled and a bit of a mess. Yeah. So do you, so anyway, like you said, they get abducted by the gladiators. All, all the other new mutants right now are dealing with the Legion stuff. The Legion introduction stuff. We talked about that a while ago. Um, but Adam, they're dealing right now with uh, the gladiators. You remember, you mentioned them from uh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. The, uh, the heartbreak hotel uh you know you know when he was a young kid when he was a young kid chris claremont back when you could do this before 9-11 chris claremont was on a flight and got invited up to the cockpit to see what it's like to fly a plane and one of the pilots looked over to him and said do you like gladiator movies and i tell you what chris claremont said yes Because Chris Claremont loves a gladiator movie. Chris Claremont <laughs> loves doing a underground arena where bloodlust overtakes our heroes. Yeah, I we don't have, understand uh, it. Don't, no, we have mentioned his love of gladi- gladiatorial combat multiple times in this program. But this is one of those things that he returns to, and I, I just don't get it. I mean, he didn't write Beauty and the Beast. No. So, but he I'd, he he had. He had to go back to that plot point and put his Chris Claremont mark on it. He was like, well, listen, I invented, I invented Dazzler, even though he didn't. He just wrote her first appearance and they put it in their most popular book. Chris, yeah. come on. It, it is I got to cr- tell you what's happening with Dazzler now that her solo's canceled and Bill Shooter wrote a really bad OGN. <laughs> well, that's the wild thing here is that he's trying to put his stamp on this stuff from Beauty and the Beast, Secret Wars, and half of the New Mutants team it's a lot to juggle and it does not work really. Thank God we have these beautiful pieces of artwork by Bill Sienkiewicz that are trying their best. But like, I guess, is the is it the Beyonder who shows up at a certain point in here who does not look like the Beyonder? We're right. getting this Kitty Pride just suddenly appears um, in the second issue of this arc. and As okay. does Rachel. Magneto pops up and is like, hey, go help me save the world. Oh, you're not going to come with me? Cool. I'm going to put the roof back down on the gladiator arena. Um, Magneto, just you could have helped. too we much. in the middle of something, buddy. It, it's too much. And then we get to issue 31, about the halfway point, where we realize the person who's running the gladiator arena is Karma from the early New Mutants. Uh, only Karma has been possessed by Amal Farouk. Uh, again, still not called the Shadow King yet, uh, but Amal Farouk, and we don't we don't know that yet. We, we get that, we get that by the end of this. But. Yeah, we we mainly get that in the second half of this uh, story in the second arc. But off the bat, we are getting this physical version of Karma, which is drastically different than the version that we have seen before uh, in the original new mutants lineup and this is where the story gets real problematic yeah let's unpack this right from the start 
Number one, look at the cover to New Mutants 31. Look at yeah. the corner box. This is incredibly racist by 1985 standards. Yes. Like, this is not a, oh, this was this was Yellow Peril back in the 30s. No, this is this is one of the most racist, like, images I think Marvel has ever published. It's really, really unfortunate. Um, you know, Bill is trying as much as possible to, and I'm sure the script calls for this, to transform karma into something that is more monstrous and more in line with, I guess, what we might associate with the appearance of Amal Farouk. But in but, doing but, but, so... Hold on, let me finish. I, I, in I'm doing so, he is resorting to exactly what you're talking about, Zach, which is these racist caricatures. So, um, you know, Karma is is featured here with an overbite, with, uh, you know, very squinty eyes, chopsticks pointing out of her head. And Y'all, is, it's, just, it's just every, it's every last bad racist caricature of an right. Asian person. So we have we have that, but then on top of that, as you mentioned before, the original version of Amal Farouk is, you know, maybe a, a larger guy. He's a, but he's a guy that shops in the big and tall section. Yeah. That's it. But just, you know, karma here is literally, like, just gigantic so in a it's, way it's the difference, that is... It's the difference between Amal Farouk in 117... Being like, okay, this looks like Kingpin. Like, this is this is a big dude, but the point is not that he's monstrous and terrible because he's fat. Whereas Karma, in this, is closer to, like, a character like Slug from Captain America. Yeah. Where him being fat is the whole thing. And, like, look how monstrous and gluttonous this person is. And it sucks, folks. Yeah, it's it's really rough. Um, I mean, we, we're at the point in certain scenes where she's, you know, being fed from a variety of different, uh, you know, people and is screaming with a, a you know, a, a drumstick in her hand. And it's just an unfortunate choice to really lean into both the the racial the racist caricature and the fat phobia on this particular version of the character when it's not necessary um as we see in the second half of this story shadow king goes about possessing almost all of the new mutants who become reunited in the second half of this story um to try and save karma uh also uh storm is here now powerless and uh, is trying to, you know, uh, there are teams of them that have to work together when they're not possessed to try and, like, save Karma and save the rest of the team. I mean, Shadow King can just be whoever he wants to be. He does not need it doesn't. to, you know, assume a, a form that is supposed to be quote-unquote monstrous, which, you know, the way in which it's drawn is then completely offensive because steve lealoa uh who does the second half of this doing the second half uh is doing similar things you know has to pick up from the visual exaggeration of what sinkevich is doing and it 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 does not work lealoa i'll give him credit tones down the racism as much as he can yes like it's i'm not saying it's perfect uh but i'm saying it's one that i'd like side eye and be like bud come on versus Bill, what are you doing? Bill, yeah. William, William Sinkevich, what are you doing? <laughs> um, we're spending a lot of time, I think, concentrating on the the appearance of how karma is is depicted because well, what else? This... What, what else is there in this story? It's gladiator stuff, and then karma's weird and terrible, and then warlock's like, what if my friend is evil? And it turns out she's not. Right, right. So the whole second part of this, from thirty two to thirty four, involves like going into the future and seeing evil versions of the new mutants coming back fighting with, you know, the evil versions that have been possessed. You know, there's, there's warlock Ileana stuff. And I don't know, not a lot of it works. It it is Claremont again, trying to juggle way, 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 way too much stuff um, and, and pack too much into this story. And I, I don't really have anything against Lealoa's art, but 
both Sienkiewicz and Leoloa are not really helping to refine the story. Like at least Sienkiewicz's art when it's not karma is, is beautiful to look at. Um, but the second three issues, not very exciting. No, I mean, they're, it's boring. It goes on forever. I don't know how much of this was tied up with Secret Wars 2, how much of this is what have you, or how much of this was Chris Claremont likes a little bit of excess every once in a while. Um, <laughs> but this one's bad, actually. Like This is this is easily the worst of the Sienkiewicz-Claremont New Mutants, which is unfortunate because it's significantly worse. Like The worst, the worst other Sienkiewicz-Claremont New Mutants, which we haven't covered on this, is like the Cloak and Dagger arc. Mm-hmm. Sure. But, but like, Demon Bear is better than... Well, Demon Bear is what? Number three on 13? our list? Demon Bear's Demon Bear's three on our list, is what I'm right. saying. Yeah. That's better than this. The Legion stuff is better than this. Uh, Slumber Party's much better than this. Like, this is... This is a pre-Sinkevich New Mutant story grafted onto this era. It does mm-hmm. have good magic stuff. Like, I do think... I do think Ileana is written pretty well through all this. I like Cannonball as he's written in this. Chris has the character voices. Like, duh, he's got them. Yeah. He has lost the plot. Yes. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. So uh, I don't think this is going to do as well as Cywar. It's not going to do as well as Cywar. Like, 295 is X-Force minus one. X-Force minus one is better. I would agree. I would agree. Um, just kind of working my way down. 395 is New Mutants 47 through 50, where they fight the Magus through a bunch of different dimensions, which this story kind of does some of that stuff too with yeah, the future I mean, X-Men stuff. And I'd rather read the Magus stuff. I would agree. That has some really cool Brett Blevins art. And you're right. It's weird how that story and this story are, you know, that the second one is a, is a retread of this, but, um, Let's keep working our way down. 427 is the first Hellions arc in New Mutants. That's better than this. I would agree. 438 um, is the end of New Mutants. That's better than this. Yeah, 100%. Who mourns the Hellions at 453, I think, is better than this. I think Return of the Legion from the Wells New Mutants at 470 is better than this. Yeah. Like, I, just, I never want to return to these stories is the thing. Yeah. Like, Cyberforce X-Men is at 506 right now. I'd rather reread Cyberforce X-Men. That's not a good comic, but I, I'm not disagreeing with you because I know. You know, there there's something just like jumbled and uh offensive about this story that no amount of beautiful Sinkevich drawing magic can kind of save. So it, it's really unfortunate. Um 529 is the X-Force and X-Man tie-ins to Onslaught. Adam, I think Onslaught has better stuff than this. It's definitely not as good as, you know, Iceman Volume 1 at 527. So we just keep working our way down. I didn't expect to go this direction. You know what, though? I I think we've kind of hit a a bottom here, though. Um, I do think this has probably got better character work than at 533 uh, Axis Revolution's Kitty Robbing a Bank. I think we're in the right spot here. We're about in the right spot. Here's the thing. I don't like it. I think this is about on par with X-Men Blue 7 through 9, The Secret Empire Story. Yeah, I think I would Mystique agree. And, the Sabretooth and Mystique mini is better at three thirty or 531. That's a great place. So this is going to be our uh, 532. It is. It is. It's uh, that new Mutants arc. Don't read it. Or, I mean, I don't know, man. <laughs> there's if if you want if you want claremont's and kevich new mutants read one of the good ones yeah <laughs> this is where they've the, done the, they've done a lot of the good ones do those instead yeah uh all right so we have one last shadow king story uh for today and it is uh closer to today what are we talking it is about closer to today here we're going to talk about astonishing x-men volume four one through six the Life of X, <laughs> written by Charles Soule. With, so the conceit of this first 12 issue, the 12 issue maxi series that this launched as, uh, was that there was a different artist for every issue. And I believe mm-hmm. there's like 10 artists over 12 issues. 
Yes. Like, I, all, I think they do have a couple of repeats. Yeah, but these are all going to be, like, top-of-the-line signature artists paired with the same guy who just brought you Death of Wolverine. You know, this is going to be, would, like, this is going to be big marquee storytelling. I would say that if that's their, if that's their benchmark... The first four artists are, like, names Marvel would launch a book with. Sure. Well, the first two are, like, names they would launch an event with. The next two are names they would launch a book with. The next two are, at the time, like, B-level guys, one of which has shot up to A-level. Uh, right. So it's Jim Chung and does the first issue. Mike Diodato Jr. does the second. Uh, Ed McGinnis does the third. Uh, Carlos Pacheco on the fourth. The fifth is Ramon Rosanas, who's honestly nothing against Rosanas, uh, but he's outclassed in this. Yes. Uh, and then number six is by uh, Mike Del Mundo, who rules. Hell yeah. <laughs> Great, yeah, strong so finish. The rest of the artists, just so, because I was curious, it's like Phil Nolo, mm-hmm. uh, Paulo Sequeira, uh, who does, is nine, nine is a Matteo, Matteo Buffagini. Nice. Uh, so, you know, you're getting down on the ACO. What is ACO doing? Because ACO is an incredible artist. I miss that. That is an amazing issue. Yeah. Rob, Rob Garney and, uh, uh, oh, Geraldo Sandoval. I feel like Greg Land did one of these and I don't know which. Did he just do a cover? He might've just done a cover. Um, well, because he, when Rosenberg takes over the book and it completely loses what it was doing to start out with. Yeah, when when they just say Rosenberg, this one's already running. Actually, yeah. Actually, I take that back. I'm almost a hundred percent sure that Matthew Rosenberg said that it was his idea to keep the keep the astonishing numbering and title and everything instead of a new number one. Yeah. So anyway, this was billed as this you know sort of standout thing, and Charles got to play with whatever characters he felt like. So we get a very bizarre lineup. And a pretty weird setup for this story. Yeah, so this is this is right after the resurrection era with blue and gold uh, and other stories. This came out just like three or four months into that. Yeah. So it's very soon as that's happening. And you got a team that is built on the cover as Psylocke, Wolverine. I say Wolverine, Old Man Logan, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Gambit, Rogue, Mystique, Bishop, Phantom X, and Archangel. Yeah. Pretty wild. There's a lot of... Here's the thing about that. There's pairings in there that I get. Mm-hmm. I get, you know, Psylocke and Archangel. Rogue, Mystique, Gambit. That's cool. I don't know what Phantom X is doing. I do... Which is annoying because Charles will be like, Hey, Phantom X and Gambit are a whole thing. They uh, are? <laughs> no, Charles... One of my earliest experiences that I remember distinctly on Twitter is asking Charles Soule if uh, Gambit and Phantom X were a couple in this, and he said, what are you talking about, you insane person? <laughs> it's a reasonable question. There's a uh, vibe! There's... I, I've got a bad sense about that stuff. There's a vibe! Yeah. Um, yeah, this is very, very much a carte blanche for Charles to pretty much do whatever he wants. Um, Case in point, this is post uncanny X-Force Bishop, basically just, they hit the reset button on Bishop. Which is necessary? It is. At a certain point. At a certain point. I'm glad it was in this forgotten, forgettable story, that we had just enough pretty basic forgettable stories where Bishop technically appears in this no, new status quo but no one examines it right that we stopped asking enough questions we're like whatever bishops bishops bishop from the 90s now again <laughs> exactly it's fine uh and then we get to go to krakoa where it's like listen we're all good we're all yeah. good shadow yeah. kings here we're good here's what i don't like about this story oh yes charles soul throughout this entire story is metatextually criticizing the X-Men as a franchise, saying that this is dull, this is repeating, we're doing the same things over and over and over again. Yep. There's no excitement, there's no energy in it. And he does that in a very interesting way, which is 
by telling the same kind of X-Men story that's been told over and over and over again <laughs> without doing any sort of like next level uh, analysis to make it bigger and better and more exciting. And also bringing back Charles Xavier, a character that's been obsolete in the X-Men since issue four. It is absolutely bonkers that this series decides that Professor X, whose brain is currently being used in Red Red Skull's uh, skull, it's already it's already been it's already been uh, vaporized at this point. It has okay. already been vaporized at this point, okay. as we talked but, about a couple episodes ago. But since his death, his 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 brain had been in Red Skull, and his soul had appeared in heaven with nightcrawler in amazing x-men so now it is revealed that not only do we have those two separate components but we have the third separate component which is his psyche has been stolen by the shadow king and brought to the astral plane where it needs to be freed by these x-men who are then like fighting on the astral plane to stop shadow king from coming out i i have to at the very least applaud the sheer audacity for ignoring what the hell was going on in the comics (laughs) right i mean there is so much here that just is like okay well i want to play with these characters and i want to do this thing and it doesn't really fit into what is actually going on in the comics, but I'm going to do it anyway because they let me. Charles Soule, my brother in Christ, you are the one who messed everything up to begin with. Hold on. You, Charles, you're the one who killed Wolverine. You're the, you're the one who did, did all the inhuman stuff. Charles, you It's one thing. To have Jonathan Hickman come into House of X number one and say, you know, toss out all the old old rules while you slept the world changed. Right. It's a very different thing to be the guy who's changing the world and ran the old world and said, man, that old world sucks. It's a very Jeff Johns during DC Rebirth being like, man, can you believe that somebody was writing all of these dark and gritty stories about our heroes where they lost arms and all this stuff. And really, we just <laughs> needed a hope in Superman. It is it is a very strange kind of self-own. It's a weird choice, Charles. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Especially because Especially because Adam. And I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off, but go, go no, go, go. I'm in rant mode now. Yeah. Especially because one, his bright idea. Is to bring back Charles Xavier. His idea is not to do anything new. His idea is regression. In number two, there are one, two, three, eight characters on this team, right? Right. Adam, let me ask you something. I, I want to ask you this. Mm-hmm. How many of these characters would be would make this story any amount different if you swapped them with literally any other character? Are any of these eight characters critical to this story? Technically, no. And I think the argument that you would get from uh, Soul is that each one of them is sort of another chess piece in the game uh, that's being played. But they're, they're not really. They're you all know? interchangeable. It's, yeah. You need, you need a psychic. Well, good luck. You're in the X-Men franchise, people. We got a billion. <laughs> Beyond that, you need some people with control issues who make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the club. Brother, come on in. We got gotcha. you. We got all of these, all of these people who are bad at living their lives. Yeah. I think the um, most glaring thing that tries to be inventive and new um, is this idea that, and it is beautifully illustrated in the sixth issue by Mike Del Mundo. And I've been fascinated with this, this very, very bizarre choice for a very long time as people who uh, follow me on Twitter. know, the idea that professor X convinces phantom X to stay in a paradise in the astral plane while he reconstitutes 
Phantom X's body into a new one for himself and just decides to call himself X. A body which remains confirmed by editorial through House of X until he is assassinated in X-Force 1. Uh, it is absolutely bonkers. It's just and a weird it's, thing that you did. If you want to bring back Professor Xavier, that's one thing. Why are we sacrificing Phantom X, one of the only characters to stick in the franchise <laughs> in the last 20 years? Why are we saying, well, this one's got to go? Also, you know, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan, Tomax. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like Phantom X. I, think I do he, too. I think, I think John Philippe is great. I think he's terrible and I think he's great. Y'all, there is nothing, nothing you could do to convince me that Charlie Cluster 7 would be like, oh, Charles Xavier, you're neat. I, I guess I will sacrifice things for your dream. Phantom X does not care. No. Phantom X, n- unimportant to him. None of it's important to him. This is a... Charles, have you read another story with this character? Did you say Thief, Grant Morrison character? Perfect, let's go. And what's weird about it is that I do think that Charles kind of nails Phantom X's motivations in his conversation with Charles, but the actual trade-off does not make a lot of sense. Um, I think the other thing that's really strange about this book as a whole is that... um, you're getting these hints that there's something else going on in terms of freeing the Shadow King that turns out to be this nesting egg for Proteus um, that comes in the next arc. Which turns out to be a nesting egg for the Shadow King again. Right, and you get this sense that Charles Soule probably had like this longer chapter, you know, novel version of this, and it all just wraps up in 13 issues. And... In you know, 12. it's it's twelve issues, which is what he pitched this as. Right. He said, "I want to do a twelve issue maxi series. I think I'm Tom King. Let's make this happen." And it it just doesn't. Um, I don't know. Like it it results in some pretty cool art, depending on who's handling what issues. It also comes in some just kind of bland art, depending on who the individual artists are that are working on an issue. And um, there's a, there's a just, weird chunk in the middle where it's Ed McGinnis, Carlos Pacheco, and uh, Ramon Rosanas, and they are all very samey. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's it's. I don't know what to think about this. You know, I remember when it was coming out at the time. I was like, this is at least something like it, it, trying to do something big, and being fascinated by the choices it's making. But I, I still, I don't know. Like even to this day, if I could tell you if it's good or not, you know. Like, oh, I could it, tell you if it's good or not. We'll find that out in a minute on what I feel. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's it's a fascinating it's, thing that people have been eager to move away from. What what I would what I would say is that if you want to see why some people so strongly defend the current era of X-Men, it's because the books are all of a good enough quality. And they feel like the they know the other books exist. Like yes, between if you were picking up the X Men that month, between Astonishing and Gold and Blue and everything else, you'd be like, "What are these? This is these are just some stories that have the same characters in it, but this is." This is not a world that feels lived in. This is not a universe which is the thing that superhero comics can do that other forms of art can't is form a universe that doesn't feel contrite. Like I was reading, I was reading a book with my son earlier tonight, and it's a Marvel book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of their YA graphic novely things, uh, and I'm just reading through them. And there's there's they just have Marvel stuff in it, like Kid Amortis and Max Frankenstein and <laughs> Death Locket. Not Death Lock, Death Locket. And uh, Kid Apocalypse are on a team in there. And he was able to be like, oh, Kid Amortis, like Kang from the Lego game. Oh, Kid Apocalypse, like, Kid, like, like Apocalypse is his dad. I was like, bud, you're too young. You're six years old. I'm not explaining Uncanny <laughs> X-Force to you, but yeah, kind of. <laughs> Like, uh, I was like, Max Frankenstein, hey, wait, what's his last name? He talked about his great-grandpa. Bud, do you know what his great-grandpa would be? Uh, Max? No, buddy. The other one. 
Frankenstein. Frankenstein. There we go, man. That's what he's talking <laughs> about. Frankenstein's like Marvel can do that. DC can do that. Valiant can't because no one actually understands what Valiant characters are. They just know that they had a Turok game at one point. No one else can do that. So when you lose that, you lose a lot. And it's so indicative of this era that not only does this book come out as like a cocky swinging look. Look at this better X-Men book than these things we just launched a few months ago. It throws out the Damien convention. It throws out all of the art convention. Like It feels like it's just misplaced. It feels mm. like it doesn't care what's going on. It's going to do its own own thing, and everyone else can get out of its way. And sometimes a book needs that. Brother, you're in the X-Men. It's it's incest all the way down. You can't get out of it. <laughs> it. I agree. There is something totally pretentious about the way the book was launched and the way, you know, what the conceit of it was. Um, you know, I, I and like I've said, it just seems... And you you just uh, illustrated it very very intelligently that it just feels divorced from anything else that was going on or uh, you know continued to be going on and um, as I mentioned before it really does seem like people just wanted to move on from this and everything involved with it as soon as possible. So can I tell you what's weird <clears throat> that like a weird detail that I remember of why I realized that this book was like a weird thing that didn't fit in. What's that? When they were doing the Resurrection launch, Mm -hmm. one of the things that they marketed as a big selling point of this launch, which, by the way, is a bad way to market your books, I'm going to tell you, (laughs) was that they had corner boxes again. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, to the point where they had the corner box art blown up as variant covers. That was weird. People, It was weird, but people were excited about the corner boxes, which, Mm -hmm. y'all... Come on, it's the content that's inside that matters, but go off. This book that comes that gets announced like the month that blue and gold come out does not have corner boxes. It has a different logo. Like it wants to be we're not like them. We know what we did. Charles, you're the one who it's not the point. It's not the point. It's yeah. just it's such a weird era. Folks, twenty seventeen was a weird time to be reading X Men comics. Uh <clears throat> I still think it's worth reading just because of, of the uh, the weird Phantom X X thing. It still drives me crazy. I still am fascinated by it, but I think Oh, I, I almost agree. read the other six issues that I did <laughs> right? not enjoy. I was like, well, I might as well. I did yeah. it though, because Alright. So let's let's rank this uh this this strange thing that we've been talking about for a while. The Rosenberg on Astonishing is better. I would agree. And where is that on our list? Uh it is at Two seven nope. Three oh nine. Three oh nine. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's uh you know part of that Rosenberg, Rosenberg era that is good before we get to the uncanny stuff. The Rosenberg astonishing X Men, every character is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. And it also has a plot. The plot's bad, I, but Well, but it ties into the new mutant stuff that he was doing at the time. It's it's more it's more important about the characters, and that's what that's what Matt Rosenberg is very good at. Yes. All right. So we know we're lower than three oh nine. I don't think we're nearly as bad as that new mutants arc. Um, We're not. You know, there's nothing really offensive here. It's it's just kind of. Uh, a bizarre... It's offensive to my sensibilities as a, <laughs> as a person who likes good stuff. But like we talked about this last week with Kieran, A plus X number five with Loki and Sinister. Mm-hmm. That's better than this. I'd rather yeah. read that. Where's that at? Uh, that is at... that's three forty four. The Rom story we've covered at three seventy two. I think is better. Yep. Um, just kind of working my way down here. I would say. Um, uncanny. Oh, you have death of X highlighted. Do you think, I think death of X is better than this. I think death of X is better than this. I do think at four ninety two we have IVX, a story that has two very good issues, a bunch of mediocre issues in just the worst finale. No, this is better than that. It is better than that. Um, is it better than, is it better than the Chuck Austin exiles King Hyperion stuff? Yes, I think it is. Um, I'm actually working my way up here a little bit. No, here, 
Right above that, though, is Uncanny 414 from the Chuck Austin run with the Jean-Paul Leon art in the North Star story. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. I think this is I better think that than that. Was... <laughs> the fact that we're determining. Because here's above it. Here's okay. here's my okay. ceiling. My ceiling is Firestar at 449. You think Firestar is better than, or this is better than Firestar? No, no. I think I think Firestar is better than this. Okay, perfect. Um, at 456, we have the Mirror Island Saga. At 457, we have Curse of the Mutants. Two other stories that I think, I don't know why they are here. I don't know why <laughs> they exist. I don't know what's going on with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we're in the same boat as that. This this probably, at least in its own internal logic, makes a little more sense than Mirror Island Saga. I don't know how you feel about it versus that. Then, okay. That that's okay. You just highlighted the London Hellfire Club arc of Excalibur. It's fun that you think I highlighted it, and instead I just clicked on a random cell. But go off. I want to hear your logic. I don't know. I mean, these stories both take place in in London, and and you know chaos ensues. But I think this one's probably a little bit better. So this is probably a good spot. I think Curse of the Mutants is better than this at four fifty seven. So this is Curse of the be... Mutants is better than this, and that's yeah. not a thing I say often. Though I have said it 164 times now. <laughs> so this is our new 458, Life of X. Uh, a, a, an absolutely bizarre, uh, I don't know, detour on the life of contemporary X-Men. Yeah, folks, if you want to read about the Shadow King, here's what you do. You read that first issue we talked about. Then you read Rita Ayala's New Mutants. <laughs> and then you go watch the TV show Legion, which... Against all logic, has the best Shadow King, played by three different people, and they yep. are all an incredible Shadow King. Aubrey Plaza, an incredible Shadow King. Jermaine Clement, an incredible Shadow King. Navid Nagaban, the best. One of the like one of the best like villains I've seen in TV. They recreate that scene where Shadow King falls face first. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so good. I'd tell you to like watch the actiony stuff because like the the fight at the end of season two between David Holler and uh, the Shadow King is a really cool way to do something that feels like a comic book but done in a medium of television. But really, go look up uh, go look up the Amal Farouk like any of his monologues. Yeah, because that's where he kills it. Absolutely loved it. So definitely check that out. I'm uh, frankly, I'm surprised it took you this long in the episode to mention it. Listen, uh, as as someone who once had a Legion podcast, love to you, Matt. <laughs> love to you, Matt Sibley, my original my original co host. Uh, I got feelings. Actually, if you watch Legion season one, do not go listen to Legion Quest. I bet Matt's great. I never want anyone to hear what thoughts I had at the time. I don't know if they're good or bad. I just don't want to revisit them. You don't. You don't have to. That's okay. So what's what's up, Zach? What's going on with Comics XF these days? Oh, we just ran. A, I was about to say we just ran a big interview with Kieran Gillen, but everyone listening to this podcast knows that. <laughs> that is true. I don't know. We're doing <laughs> we're doing comics coverage. Extra fun comics coverage. Immortal X Men just went up. That one's neat. Uh, loved it. I think absolutely I maybe, loved it. I may be doing some writing soon. I have myself signed up for it. I'm, I want to get back into the game a bit. I've I've had to take some time, but I want to get I want to get back into the thick of it. Uh, now you just you just did a polygon piece. I don't know if you mentioned that last episode. Yeah, about... I, I mentioned I mentioned it last episode. I had a couple pieces go up on Polygon about that time Daredevil fought a vacuum cleaner, and an interview uh, about Omega Level Mutants where Ben Percy. Jerry Duggan, Al Ewing, and Leah Williams all jumped in uh, to talk about their thoughts and feelings about uh, what Omega-level mutants are. Fun fact, they are like, well, stories are really what's most important. And I'm like, I agree. <laughs> I did appreciate that, that everybody was pretty much like, yeah, I mean, I guess Omega's cool, but like, I, you know. <laughs> yeah, Adam, what do you got going on? Um, I, I don't know. I, if, if folks are getting psyched about the Hellfire Gala, you can swing by, uh, my Twitter account at Arthur Stacy and my Instagram, Adam.rec. You can see Zach 
and my official Hellfire Gala looks for this year. Um, I did some last year where we kind of looked a little more tropical. This year we're, we're going for more of a, uh, a, a winter theme. I'm not sure how I arrived at that, but um, check that out. I, I think look we both... like Oscar Isaac. <laughs> yep, Zach's rocking a kilt. Uh, we look fabulous. So uh, check that out. Great. I honestly don't know what else is going on. I, I don't think I've uh, got any new pieces or anything. Just, um, you know, hang out. Usually some fun stuff happening on uh, on the social. And I, I don't know what we're doing next week, Zach. What is going on next week with uh, this show? Oh, we're going to talk about Otherworld? You know Otherworld, the other world. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, Otherworld. The other world. From Otherworld. Yep. <laughs> Until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!